giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody. This is episode 31 of the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. I'm Chad Pytel, filling in this week for Ben Orenstein, who's on location in sunny Florida. And with me today is software developer, podcaster, and author, Brett Terpstra. Brett, thank you so much for joining me today. Not a problem. Great to be here. So, Brett, let me start off first with the question that's on everyone's mind. Uh, you have a day job, uh, and you're also a very prolific open source contributor. And uh, you developed NVALT, uh, Marked. You, as as part of AOL, you developed the backends for Engadget, Joystick, the unofficial Apple Web Blog. Um, actually, maybe some of those aren't even part of your day job. Oh, they are. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you've also you've just written a book, Sixty Mountain Lion Tips, with David Sparks. And now you host your own podcast um, on 5x5. So when do you sleep? What is your typical day like? Um, I I sleep a couple times a week. It works out um, that I have enough energy left to do a few podcasts. But uh, but I run myself pretty ragged. Um, I also have a job that's flexible enough that uh, I can focus on my job when I when it makes sense to focus on my job right? and, you know, take a little drift off and do 15 minutes of NB alt coding or something and then, uh, and then get back to work. And I don't have anyone, I work from home mm-hmm. and I don't have anyone like cracking whips over my shoulder. So I actually find I get to be really productive by working on what makes sense at any given time. Right. And do you work normal business hours or Technically, but I mean, there are the occasional 3 a.m. Uh, code code blasts on uh, on the blogs, and um, yeah, technically my day job. I, I I stop the clock at about 5 p.m. and then I'm on my time. Uh, go have dinner, then sit down, and do some of my own uh, regular ex- regular expression explorations and whatnot. Um, but yeah. It's, it's flexible, but I try to stick to normal people hours. Right. And we should also mention where you live. So you live in Minnesota, right? Yes. And, and so you work from home, so you don't really have a commute. And right. what's, what's it like there today? It's 35 degrees today. Everything's melting. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a nice break. It's been hovering around zero for a while. Um, but that's the great thing is I, I get uh, – I get – the benefits of like a New York job other than living in the city, I get the pay and I get the flexibility and I get uh, the contacts and the networking, but I get to live in a very kind of low cost. Uh, what, what do they call it? The heartland. Right. Something like that. I really like the Midwest. Now, but I really like working uh, as if I were in New York. What was that? That was my clear tones. Alarm that I forgot to turn off. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. That was uh, that was nice. I like it. It is nice. I try not to offend people with my ringtones. <laughs> so you live in Minnesota. Did you always live in Minnesota, or did you live somewhere else? I've lived in Michigan. I've lived in New York. I've lived in uh, uh, Minneapolis, which is yes, Minnesota, and Baltimore. And I get around, but I've been here for like six seven years now maybe eight yeah and it seems like it hasn't the lifestyle that you ultimately want to have i i really enjoy being able to find parking spots (laughs) i love it 
So um, many of the developers who listen to this podcast are Ruby developers. Uh, what languages do you program in most frequently? Well, uh, I do a lot in PHP, a lot in JavaScript. I My personal stuff, I do a lot of Ruby, but um, uh, professionally, it's primarily primarily JavaScript and, and PHP, which isn't my favorite choice, but um, and then I use Objective-C for a lot of my uh, my more robust applications. Yeah, so what is the specific, uh, your sp- real title at AOL? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. I think on my business card it says tech lead at AOL tech. Right. But that sounds so redundant that I just say senior developer. Okay. And so you work on the backends for several of the popular sites and Gadget, the unofficial Apple web blog. We- we there's a layer in the middle, and okay. that's where I work. I don't I don't build the CMS, mm-hmm. um, not for these. I am I work on the the. It's a pretty much a front end job, okay. But w- w- that I have to kind of tie an interface to the back end without actually having the control of the code in the back end. Right, right. So it's it's an extra challenge. And how big is the team that you work on? Uh, currently, there are four of us. But we are looking to hire. <laughs> do you split up? Do you tend to segment the work, or do the four of you work on all the same things? No, have- it's pretty pretty clearly divided. We have a, a MySQL PHP guy who's very good with more of the back-end stuff. We have me right now. I'm filling the shoes of the front-end uh, JavaScript developer until we make a new hire. Um, and then we have a designer and then we have a project manager and everyone kind of has clear cut duties and it works out pretty well most of the time. So you develop in Ruby on your personal stuff a lot of times and you're working in PHP and JavaScript. Um, but you also develop for the Mac, right? And so you're obviously using objective C there. Um, is there a platform that you develop that you like to develop best for now? Oh, absolutely. The Mac. What about it that you like best? The tools that are provided make it really easy to do creative and powerful things that have elegant interfaces without having to worry too much about, well, interface, really. I mean, you get to get right down into the, the system coding, and I really enjoy that. I, I, don't, I don't have any special preference for Objective-C over other languages. I'm not hardcore in love with it but i've gotten good enough with it that it makes sense and it's powerful and can always drop down to see when i need to it's i've only done a little development on say like windows i haven't touched windows since i don't know xp right um so i don't i don't know what modern development there is really like to compare to but iphone and mac are definitely really fun platforms for me to work on so you just mentioned iPhone, which was going to be my next question. So your your released apps that I know of are Mac apps. Yeah. Have you worked on iPhone stuff, and do you have something released? Yeah, I play with it every once in a while. I have nothing released. Um, my my only finished app was one called uh, iDiva, mm-hmm. and when you whip your your wrist, uh, an animation on the screen snaps. So you can do like the oh no you didn't thing. <laughs> And when you when you do four snaps in a Z pattern, it would say, oh, no, you didn't. And it was ridiculous. And no one's ever seen it except for my wife. That That's the kind of thing that, you know, anyone else would probably release that for 99 cents on the App Store. Yeah. Yeah, just to prove they can do floating point math. 
<laughs> so um, you develop a lot of open source in addition to the commercial stuff. Is yeah. your most popular project NVAlt? Uh, according to downloads and, and buzz and actual usage, I would say that's probably accurate. Right. And so uh, many people might not know what NVAlt is. NVAlt is uh, open source fork of notational velocity. Right. Yep. So, how did you come to um, maintain, you know, make that fork and uh, maintain that? And notational velocity is a popular program on the Mac, right? Very. How did that work out? So, yeah. So, and no one's ever asked me that before. But um, the uh, Zachary, who developed notational velocity, had contacted me years before. Uh, when he wrote the original notational velocity and I was writing for the unofficial Apple weblog. And I think, I think I posted about it. I didn't really, I fall in love with it at that point. In fact, I didn't touch it again for a couple of years. And then I, I was, I was nosing around on GitHub and realized that all of the source code was there and it looked workable. And there were a couple of things I wanted to try. So the first thing I did was add markdown to it and then immediately found out, that uh, like Flyosity and other people had already done this and done a good job of it. So I just started developing from there and it just became kind of a, I was learning objective C at the time and it was a great exercise. And looking back, it's a, it's a mess of code, but, and, and mostly my fault, but um, it, it was a great like tinkering way to kind of play with various technologies that are mostly outdated now. And around the same time, someone else was also working on a fork, right? Uh, are you referring to Elastic Threads? Yeah, yeah. David Halter had a had a, a separate fork going for quite a while, and eventually, when I started to slow down on NVAlt, I asked if he wanted to merge and talk him into using the NVAlt name because it had a lot of street cred at the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, he is he is my co-conspirator now. So. Actually, that's a good question. Did you just come up with the name NVAlt? Well, I originally on my blog posted it as Notational Velocity Alt. And I, I, that just got really long to say, and I just shortened it. So why is it capitalized that way? Um, I, it, it camel case habit. <laughs> okay. I don't know. So your commercial application that you develop for the Mac now uh, is Marked. And why don't you tell people what Marked is? Marked is a Markdown previewer that updates as you save a file so you can use it for live previews or semi-live previews with any editor. Whatever your favorite editor is, it adds a full, very robust Markdown preview to it with Built-in themes, the ability to handle custom themes, custom processors. You can add textile to it or uh, RDoc, whatever you want to uh, view. As long as you can process it on the command line, you can use Marked for it. And it's only three ninety nine right now, which is way too low. Even I think that's too low. Well, that's actually higher than it has been in the past, right? It's it started out at a dollar ninety nine. Yeah, that's which crazy. at the time I released it was actually. That when I released it, it was right around the point that people actually started valuing App Store apps. Like up at that time, there weren't a lot of good apps over like three dollars, 
and now I'm like way behind the curve. All the all the apps that I think are on the same level as Mark are they're charging minimum nine nine dollars and up to forty. So, so uh, I want to talk to you more about App Store pricing um, because I feel like you felt a lot of pressure to keep uh, your apps low, especially coming maybe from an open source world and background. Mm, I don't know if that played into it as much as okay. just. I have a marketing background, right? And I really like I I meant to experiment more, but I wanted to start low and build up a customer base and then, you know, start to raise the prices. I had enough user base to to expand sales and I just kind of failed at that. Um, <laughs> I have a question, so, does it actually work that way? You it know, does. Because on the App Store, once I buy it once, I'm never going to pay you again. Right. No, that's that's the thing, but you're going to tell more people about it. And as you have, if you have a hundred users and they each tell, you know, three or four people about this app they love, all of a sudden you have 400 potential sales. Right. Whereas if you're, if it's priced too high and no one's trying it, then no one's talking about it. Right. Well, I use marked. Um, and one of the hallmarks of using it is the great support that you offer. Um, I know that, I don't know if you remember this, but, I was um, trying to see if Marked would work for one of our books. Yeah. And uh, I we use code includes. So I emailed support for Marked about, uh, you know, very deep code includes. It was hanging the program. And you responded and said that you had a beta where you thought it was fixed and you sent me the beta. Um, and was it fixed? It was fixed. Awesome. I didn't end up using it for our book for other reasons. It's, uh, but, uh, but it's a great piece of software, and me and a bunch of the other people here use it. Um, and so it seems to me, digging down into the tech behind it a little bit, that you mentioned RDoC and those kinds of things, that there is Ruby involved in Marked, isn't there? Very, very little, and I'm phasing it out. Like okay. Originally, a lot of the text processing was passed out to Ruby because I hate NS Scanner. And uh, I eventually worked regex library into it and started uh, moving the stuff that Ruby was handling back out. Um, all of my custom processors that I use with it are Ruby, though, and it, it deals well with running Ruby scripts. How but, do you how do you run the Ruby in the context of the Mac app? Um, with NS NS task. Okay. Like I can shell out basically to a to a, an anonymous Unix shell and run anything that I want to. Right. And so it's just using the system Ruby. Uh, yeah. And, and that's one of its shortcomings is if people are running RVM or RVN, it, uh, it does have trouble recognizing their environment because it's not in their user shell. So that gets complicated. Right. So you have a couple different apps that use Markdown, obviously NVALT does marked does, are you using a library to do Markdown processing on those apps? I use multi-Markdown in Mark 1.4. Okay. If that's what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and in 1.5, which you have the beta of, uh, you have the option to use discount instead of multi-Markdown, but they're both there. Right, right. So going back to pricing a little bit, it's must be hard to... Um, give that level of support to people who have only paid a dollar 99. It n- never <laughs> well, really that, crosses my mind. Okay. 
Like basically, they paid something. Yeah, know? they paid something. But overall, do you keep track of, you know, how much money you're making from marked, how much time you're putting into it, or does that not even something that you keep track of? Uh, well, I know exactly how much money I make from it, and um, as long as it's making money, I don't really. I have, a, I have a rough idea. Like I'll set aside, this is my hour where I go and answer all the support emails. So I know that I put an hour into support and I put eight hours into coding. And um, But I don't really do the math to figure out like what my per hour rate is or anything. Right. And what are the reasons behind that? Or, or I should say, really, is Mark profitable for you? Oh, yes. Okay. So there's a lot of people. So. You, you have a lot of customers then. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I won't throw numbers out. <laughs> yeah, but no, that's. I mean, that's okay. I never expected to sell more than maybe four hundred copies of Mark, and it still sells uh, about thirty a day. Wow, wow, that's great! Congratulations. I guess yeah. that's what happens when you build a great app. <laughs> I guess and put a low price on it. All right. Yeah. So, if you are running it profitably now, um, you know but you don't have to worry about that. Right. So if it wasn't running profitably, would you still work on the app? Mm, I don't know. I, I, I think I probably would because Mark is like a, it's a playground for me with, I love my favorite thing in the world is, is string processing and text mangling. And, uh, and Mark is just a, a playground for turning plain text into beautiful documents. And there's so many things I wanted to do that, should it ever, like, if I just decided to give it away for free, I'd probably keep working on it, at least for as long as I worked heavily on NBL. Okay. And do you think that you have that luxury because you have a day job? Yes, absolutely. If I were dependent on my software sales for anything other than extra, you know, mortgage money, um, I, I, would, I would probably be writing a different app. Like Mark is nice and it's awesome and fun and a blast to work on, but it has a very niche audience. Right. Right. So that seems to me like it's a really good position to be in. Yes. You, I think it's great. <laughs> Assuming that you like your day job. Yeah. I, and I do. I, I'm, I'm probably one of the happiest people in the world right now. <laughs> That's I love awesome. my day job. I love what I do in my free time. I have tons of people, you know, just communicating with me and saying thank you and and uh, bouncing ideas off me, contributing to my projects, and I'm just I'm having a blast. It does really seem like you get to in in your normal job you get to work on some pretty cool things. So I I know that you had a hand in lighting, writing the live blog system for Engadget. Yeah. Yep. And that seems like a really cool project. And it's as a software developer myself, I, I get a lot of sa satisfaction in building things. I know a lot of people are going to use. Yeah. There's definitely something to be said for, um, hitting compile on a piece of code that, you know, is going to help a lot of people out as opposed to, you know, just make your own website run faster. Right. What do you, is there anything interesting about that project, that live blog blogging project? Oh, it's very interesting. Um, I mean, basically, it's a rethink. And other people are catching up now. But at, at the time we launched it, 
there was nothing like it. It was a, it was a rethink of the idea of how server side and and front end uh, client side communication should happen in a modern web era. Um, and it, it made use of some modern technologies while remaining backwards compatible. It's it streamlined the back end to the point where we're just sending like you know single bits of JSON uh, out to millions of users at once and. Um, and everyone's getting sec within seconds, like two seconds max latency on uh, when someone types something in the CMS and it shows up on your page. And it's just a blast to like work out the details. And yeah, things go wrong and everyone panics. And I don't know. I, I, I kind of have fun as long as no one's yelling at me. I understand <laughs> pressure. I like the pressure. I don't like being yelled at. But I work in an environment where there's not a lot of yelling. Right, and you're remote too, so they they'd have to yell really loud. <laughs> yeah, but you can yell at people over IRC, <laughs> which and, and maybe is even worse. Happen. It is. So, um, the stack behind that system—that's MySQL and PHP. Yeah, that's a MAMP stack. And I imagine. Are you that... taking notes? Or are you going to steal it? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm not going to steal it because it's in PHP, and. Uh... <laughs> So, and I imagine that it is that there's a lot of server power behind it. Oh yeah, it's uh, that I'm I'm glad that I I don't have to deal with the networking side of it. Right, but there's a distributed uh, server and cache platform around the world that it, runs that. Does it ramp up and down for events? Is mm -hmm. it is it is it hosted in the cloud? Uh, it's yeah, I guess technically it, right. it's AOL's own cloud. Okay. Um, so yeah, they're running on virtual machines and their leaf nodes everywhere, and uh, and right before those big events, we hard cache everything that's not a live blog, and and stick it up on like uh, I don't I can't remember what they call them, but they're they're caches in front of the caches, and they actually the first launch of the live blog during the big Apple event I can't remember which one now, but it was you know it was millions of hits coming in and. The servers actually stayed at lower spikes than uh, than you would have seen at a live blog half the size a year before. Wow! Yeah, they the the guys doing the networking really really did a killer job on that. Well, that's great, and it uh, sounds like a really interesting project to work on. Yes, so I'm jumping around a little bit, but um, you published a book, Sixty Mountain Lion Tips. Um. Is that going well? It's going okay. Um, it's it's not. Sales were great the first month, and yeah. and I feel like uh, in the first month I got paid back for all the time I put into it. So well, everything that comes in now is just you know it's little royalty checks, I guess. But right. uh, but we are working on the next one already. That's that's interesting that you say that that sales were great in the first month. So you actually you released it timed with the release of Mountain Lion, right? No, really oh. badly actually. Oh, like oh, okay. Two months later, three months later. <laughs> yeah, we missed it. Okay, so were you trying to release it timed with Mountain Lion, or were you it not? It had trying been to? mentioned, <laughs> strongly suggested. Yeah, but at the same time, we didn't pressure ourselves to uh, to meet that you know, arbitrary or external deadline. Right. We just said, we'll just do this. Cause a lot of the stuff in that book still pertains to lion as well. Right. Um, it's, 
we called it a mountain lion book because there are mountain lion tips in it, but a lot of the things that worked in lions still work in mountain lions, so we use them too. Right. So about the so you used iBooks author to yeah. write that book. Tell me a little bit about the the workflow behind that. Because you're are you writing in Markdown? I I write everything in Markdown. Everything right. starts. I can't I can't work in a word processor until it comes down to like layout time. But yeah, so I'd write in Markdown and I'd render it to rich text, and then I'd end up re basically like one line at a time for headlines and then for body copy and and uh and footnotes and everything just pasting it into iBooks author because it just doesn't deal well with with not writing in iBooks author right uh it was a bit frustrating for someone like me who really wants to work in plain text and turn it into a document uh they don't really really have any way to allow that right now so right it's I almost if I if I were starting the last book over again, I would probably write in iBooks author for a lot of it. Save but, some time. So once you copied and pasted your rendered markdown into iBooks author, did you keep the markdown version? Oh yeah, I keep markdown versions of everything. Right. So then when we you all- had a change or you made edits, what were you editing yeah see that's i i edit in ibooks like I, basically nvalt is full of my first drafts right and if i were really meticulous i would make my changes all from the you know base repository and then propagate them out to the different document formats but i don't uh if i ever got into a position like with a lean pub book right um that would be like an ideal situation where i would always edit the markdown because the markdown then shoots out to Kindle Kindle and uh, PDF and ebook and um, that that I would work with but in iBooks it was just it's it would quadruple the time right and it would drive you it would drive me crazy to yeah. have to go back and you know make changes in two locations mm-hmm. one which you don't really like to work in um, yeah so for our, for our books we use pandoc uh, to generate from sure. Markdown. Um, and that's, you know, why I was looking at Marked as part of that to see if it could work as part of that workflow um, to generate really uh, great versions of our Markdown. And while it Marked is great at generating great uh, versions of Markdown files, it's not so great at being uh, a book publishing platform. It's not really intended right. for that. Well, and it, it can't, uh, there are certain limitations that drive me insane because I really, I would love it if Mark could just save an EPUB, EPUB file for you. Right. Um, but because it, it renders everything through WebKit, and the WebKit that I have access to right now is just crippled when it comes to even creating PDFs. Like internal links break and pagination is is hard enough that you can't get page numbers and headers in and... I, I need to just completely hack apart the WebKit. But anyway, um, I, that is exactly why I started working in uh, more extensive LeanPub support. Right. Because then Mark, Mark can give you a very accurate preview of what LeanPub is going to create for you. But then LeanPub, you know, it can Dropbox publish through a, a distributor then. I felt like that was kind of my good stopgap solution until I figure something else out. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. In, in my opinion, the 60 Mountain Lion tips that you created in iBooks Author is really great looking. Thanks. Um, and it's just not possible to accomplish that uh, no, in anything else right now. No, markdown is a layout. Right. Right. But even, even if you're doing like EPUB, you know, if you look at any random book on Kindle or most books on the iBook store, they don't yeah. look good. No. No, EPUB, EPUB is a horrible format to begin with. iBooks offers the capability to look good. And strangely, a lot of people aren't somehow messing up the default templates. I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't it seem like that there's a lot of opportunity to be, you know, to improve the tools there? Uh, oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 It's a lot I of time. Love- so I, this is what, one of the things that I work on here is, uh, you know, that publishing tool chain. We, we just did another book, which is like the refinement of what we learned from our first one. And we self-publish. So when people buy it, they just, get, we're not doing it through any of the bookstores. Is um, that profitable? So it is profitable. Yeah. And the way we do it is we give people access when they, uh, when they buy it, we, they get access to the GitHub repo. So they get the markdown version of it. And they can actually do pull requests, and we use GitHub issues for them to ask questions, and uh, and all that stuff. And then there's you know the compiled versions of EPUB, Mobi, HTML, PDF, in the repo as well. That's pretty cool. It works out well, but it's uh, it's still like it's a huge pile of hacks, basically. Sure. And then you find I don't know if you're finding this as you work with like EPUB and those kinds of things, but like there's times where the easiest thing to do is go in and sort of modify the EPUB directly, either with regular expressions or just templating uh, to get the quality that you want. I don't know if you've been forced to do that at all. Yeah, but in your case, that would, that would shoot you in the foot pretty fast. Though. Yeah. Well, so it's all automated. It's automated. Yeah. It would seem like that would uh that would get pretty dangerous when your entire your entire book business is built off a repo i'd want to edit at the source yeah so we're editing at the source but i mean that we have automated ways of changing the epub if we need to nice the outputted epub because things like the table of contents and those kinds of things don't necessarily always generate the way that you want them from Ah, the tools it's a big pain in the ass basically uh, and if we I didn't care that. what our books looked at, looked like, or how they worked, which seems to be the case for a lot of publishers, uh, then it would be might be a little bit easier. Yeah, but you lose respect for yourself, and in the end, I think uh, it, it it would be if I had to go and tell someone I wrote a book and I was embarrassed about it. Right. I would rather not sell it or make any money or do anything. I really need to be proud. That's something like. I'm not proud of all my code, but I'm proud of the uh, the things that I accomplish. You know, like the the what my apps can do is is a source of pride for me. And if I wasn't proud proud of it, I wouldn't publish it. I would hate to have those ninety nine cent apps on the app store, the fart machines and stuff. <laughs> yeah, who could you tell? Who could you tell that to? Your mom. You could- oh no! <laughs> hey, mom. Uh, look at <laughs> look at what I made. Only a mother could love. <laughs> it's an app, and only only a mother could love. <laughs> so you have uh, you've just started 
Well, I mean, just is probably not the right word. You're at like episode 27 of your own podcast, Systematic. Yeah, next one will be 27. Yeah. So we're we're beating you by a couple episodes. (laughs) But I listen to the podcast and I really like it. How do you pitch the podcast to people? What do you say it's about? Oh, I... Oddly, I've never had to. Okay. That's probably um, a good thing. I guess if I had to give an elevator pitch for it, it would be it's it's a show for nerds but about the personality and and the thought and the the workflows uh behind coders and and scientists and mathematicians. Not so much about the work, but about what drives people. Right. So you have really interesting people on like a neuroscientist and you've had him on a couple of times. Yes. And, uh, you know, those kinds of conversations I find are really interesting. In some ways, there's a lot of stuff like that going on now. It's sort of like the magazine from Marco Arman. It's just, you know, it's not specifically tech news, but it's stuff that nerds or geeks find really interesting. Right. And because nobody is just a coder, like we all have our personality quirks and we, we want to know that we're okay. Right. And that's, that's what I do. I talk to people and try to convince myself I'm okay. And a lot of people seem to relate to that. So where can people go to, to listen to the podcast and find out more? Uh, five by five dot TV slash systematic. And we'll have all of those, the links of everything we are talking about on this episode um, as well as a link to Systematic uh, at thoughtbot.com slash podcast slash 31. So in the, in the episode 24 of Systematic, um, actually, I should say, at, at part of what you do in each episode of Systematic is you list, along with your guests, three app recommendations or top apps that you use. Yep. And, uh, and I think it was at the end of episode 24, you started talking about how uh, your recommendation for the episode was Key Remap for MacBook and another app called Aptivate. Yes. And I was really interested in, and I know a lot of people who listen and a lot of people at ThoughtBot do crazy things like you're talk- you were talking about in that episode. So I'd like to talk to you more about that. Okay. So for those who have, don't know what Key Remap for MacBook, MacBook is, can you you know sum it up a little bit and then tell how you use it? It's uh, it's a kernel extension that that loads at boot um, that lets you remap any key on your keyboard to do crazy things. For example, if I hold down my S and my D key at the same time, H, J, K, and L become Vim navigation keys no matter where I am. So, like, in my web browser and Finder and in, in uh, text editor, I can just hold down two keys and navigate like I was in Vim. And, uh, and that's, you know, and then I talked about my hyper key that's become crucial to my workflow lately. Yeah, so how is the hyper key actually implemented? And you're okay, using caps so, lock for that, right? What's that? You're using caps lock for that. Right. I, I remap my caps lock, um, and it's a, a custom XML that you can get on my site. Um, but basically if I hold down my caps lock key, it's the equivalent of holding down control shift option and command all at the same time. And then, I mean, basically my keys, I have so many keyboard shortcuts 
and so many different apps and so many global ones that I run out. But nobody ever uses Control Option Command Shift because you can't naturally hit that with your fingers. Right. So that opened up a whole new keyboard worth of of shortcut keys for me uh, that I'm having a blast with. And uh, then if I just tap it once without holding it, it's an escape keys, which is great, like in Vim or uh, actually in a lot of places, uh, just having a pinky escape key right there. So do you use Vim as your editor when you're not I, in Xcode? Uh, not my primary editor, but I, I make myself stay good at Vim because I do a lot of work over SSH. Right. And right. it's the easiest way to, to modify things on a server. Yeah, totally. So you also mentioned another app called Aptivate. What does yeah. that one do? Aptivate is your, it's a basic, you know, uh, assign hotkeys to launch applications kind of program, but it let you, lets you do sequences. Uh, so you could, you can map a whole tree of things like uh, option function two is my notes key. So I hit option function two, and then depending on what letter I hit next, it launches Curio or it launches NVAlter, it launches MindNode, and like everything's, it just opens up so many more possibilities because all my notes programs have their own keyboard worth of keys after I hit their, their intro key. So you use those two things in combination to essentially make the keyboard, uh, you know, do everything that you want it to do. Do you rely yeah. on the mouse at all? <laughs> um, my, I, I run Better Touch Tool. Okay. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah, I I used it to speed up the tracking speed of my mouse, I think. Yeah, it can do so much. Like, right now, if I tap three fingers at the top of my Magic Trackpad, my terminal visor comes down. If I slide, if I click and pull down with three fingers, my lights turn off. If I tap, if I'm in wait, a Wait, 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 your, light, your lights turn off? Yeah, everything's what? hooked up through, like, old X10 switches, and I can control most of the lights in my house from my trackpad. That is awesome. I like it. Wait, so what do you do? You, you triple tap for that? No, I, I, you have to you, uh, push down with three fingers, so like a click at the top, and then you drag three fingers down. Okay. Are they on dimmer? Is it dimming it? No, there's no that not, would be I don't awesome. have it set up to dim. I could, but extends too slow with dimming. Oh, okay. Um, but I, I like that gesture, though, because I can't hit it accidentally. Right. Well, that, I had that problem for a while. That is really interesting really powerful um do you how do you keep track of everything you have is it just ingrained at this point or are you constantly changing it did i lose you so uh brett just lost power at his house uh i guess this is one of the downsides of living in minnesota maybe <laughs> Rolling, rolling brownouts. Hey. Hey, so sorry. Did you have your X10 set up <laughs> no. and you were doing the gesture as we were talking about it and <laughs> accidentally be, turned off your power? That would be um, way funnier, but a breaker just tripped. Oh, man. Because I'm running a heater and I shouldn't be because it's 35 degrees. Come on. <laughs> I was trying really hard to remember where we were right before my power went out uh, so that we could pick it back up seamlessly, but I'm not sure I am going to be able to do that. So let me just start over. 
Um, that all sounds really powerful. Um, does it change all the time or do you just have it ingrained? Is there stuff that you forget? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I, I created cheaters. Uh, it's like a pop-up cheat sheet, uh, that I can just hit like, uh, F10 and I get uh HUD that has all of my shortcuts, all of my, like all the jQuery selectors that I always forget and everything that I ever need to reference. I have the touch of a button there. Um, that's on my website and on GitHub, but, uh, a lot of it just, if I, if I don't sync something into my muscle memory within the first week after I program it, I usually just delete it later because it's not going to stick. Do you have to maintain that cheat sheet when you change things? Yeah, it's all manual. Yeah. I do actually, my key bindings, I use a key bindings dict, like the dictionary file that comes with, uh, the system. I was going to say, we were going to have to bleep you out there no (laughs) d-i-c-t yeah um and uh and i i modified that so i have uh mostly text editing shortcuts and that i do have automated uh it's cheat sheet updates automatically just a ruby script that parses that and turns it into html uses my comments kind of a js doc kind of thing right so brad i'm a firm believer that people who are great developers are usually really good with their tools and whether it's vim or whatever editor you use and things like you're talking about with the key bindings and all that stuff allow people to work really quickly and it's amazing to watch developers who are using their tools like you use them it's like magic yeah i i agree entirely i'm not that magical to watch though I spend more time making the tools than I do uh, really perfecting <laughs> my workflow. Okay. It's kind of sad. No, it's, it, it's okay. There's a lot of enjoyment from that. There is. There is. I actually am one of the slower typists in my, um, like, I'm faster than my mom. I, you know, it's, actually, she's pretty good. But, um, but like, when I sit down with other developers and they're just, like, lightning, and their keyboards are shaking and rattling around and, I just kind of did it, did it, did it, did it, You know, I like, I like smoothing out the workflow. I like being able to hit caps lock W and jump to my, my OmniFocus uh, inbox. It's nice, but I'm not as uh, amazing as I think people who use my tools probably are. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, I wonder if that's the case for like the, you know, the creators of Vim uh, and Emacs too. <laughs> No, I think the creators of Vim, like the the core Vim distribution, are are truly probably keyboard wizards. It would be funny if they if they weren't though, and it was all just a big joke <laughs> to get people to use a crazy ass editor. We'll make people hit escape and then a uh, slash key. It'll be hilarious. <laughs> Good joke. <laughs> Thanks. Um. So how can people uh, learn more about you and uh, follow you on Twitter? Those kinds of things. I am uh, I'm TT Scoff, T-T-S-C-O-F-F, just about everywhere. Twitter, app.net, other places that I probably shouldn't tell you where you can find me. And, uh, and then I blog at brettterpstra.com. And that's three T's in the middle of that. My first name has two. My last name has one. And I stuck them together and made a completely asinine uh, a domain out of it. And then... Um, and then I'm on my podcast is on five by five. Uh, it's called systematic. 
And there'll be links to everything we've talked about today in the show notes for this episode. That's thoughtbot.com slash podcast slash 31. Brett, is there anything else? We've talked a lot about a lot. I've taken you through a journey through everything that uh, maybe you're working on now. But is there anything else that we missed? Oh, boy. There... <laughs> Yeah, there's a, there's I, a lot. We right? could never we could never talk about it all. I, it j- like just last night, I I I've worked with more projects than I can even remember. And if I didn't keep a log of everything I worked on, I I would I'd be a complete blank right now. Is there anything in particular that that you want to share with the audience? Oh, Jekyll hacking, man! I, I I switched to Jekyll because I actually wanted to fiddle more with my blog. And I spent last night monkey punching the payload for the site. That sounded horrible. That sounded <laughs> that's the, that's but, the show title right there. Monkey punching the payload. I added so I can add uh, um, a YAML header that says series and then name a series. And every post that has that will get links automatically to other posts when it generates the site. And it builds an index of all my series posts. It's, I had so much fun with that. Yeah, we, we, uh, we use Jekyll a lot here. Uh, for different projects it's really really neat it, it, it it's it's just frustrating enough that it makes you just keep uh keep hacking at it until you get it to do what you want it to do <laughs> bend it to your will well if that's it uh, i think that that about wraps up the episode for today Sounds we got good. we got to finish up before your power goes out again or <laughs> no anything kidding. like that uh brett thank you so much for joining me today i really appreciate it No, it's great to be here.